it's supposed to be. Yes, it is. <laughs> All right, it's 9.30, so I guess we'll go ahead and get started. Y'all probably going, who in the world is that standing up there? Uh, if I haven't met you yet, which there's a whole lot of people I haven't met yet, my name's Robert Warren. That's my wife, Stacy Warren. Uh, we just placed membership back first part of January, so we're still kind of new here. Uh, been married 31 years. Spent the last 19 at the Alverton Church of Christ, and then 11 before that at the Franklin Church of Christ. So we might know some of y'all through different connections that way. It seems like we've figured that out. <laughs> So we're going to be this quarter studying 1 Samuel and possibly 2 Samuel. We'll see how things are. Daryl Debris will be uh, tag teaming with me. I think he's up next week. So I'm going to kick it off today. 1 Samuel. Quick question. Who wrote 1 Samuel? It's a trick question. We don't really know for sure. (laughs) Uh, We usually want to say Samuel just because it's named after him, but... Chapter 25 records his death, so it's probably not likely he wrote all of 1 and 2 Samuel, if he wrote any of it. So we really don't know. Uh, everything I've seen, there's two or three names bandied about that may have collaborated to get both books. But uh, this is the end of the Judges. This is like a uh, transition, historical record of a transition from uh, uh, Judges to Kings for the nation of Israel. And that's pretty much what First and Second Samuel is. They didn't have kings, you know, at this point. They had judges because God ruled. God was their, their king. God ruled through his word and instructed the people by the priest. Um, he would raise up judges as they were needed. You know, Israel always had this pattern of falling out of what they were supposed to do. And God would let them get in trouble, and he'd raise up a judge to uh, get them out of it. Uh, but God would raise up judges as he needed to. Uh, he didn't, they didn't rule like kings. Um, they often didn't even rule, rule over the whole nation. Um, and they didn't have children who automatically took their place. So they were very different than having a king. So Samuel, that we're going to read about at some point here, he becomes the last of these judges. All right, let's read a couple of verses here. I'm going to be using the English Standard Version in class, if you're wondering what what I'm reading out of. I have one each of everything at home, like probably many of y'all do, but this is the one I've settled on for class at least, so I hope that's okay. 1 Samuel chapter 1, we'll just read a couple of verses here. There was a certain man of Ramatham Zophim. How's that sound? Was that good? Is that that right, Howard? Is that close? All right, well, we're going to go with it because I don't have to say it again. So (laughs) I think that's it. Uh, Of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, an Ephrathite. I want to say Ephrathite, but it's Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, I'm going with Panina because I think it sounds nice. Panina. And Panina had children, but Hannah had no children. This Ramatham Zophim, later they're just going to refer to it as Rama, so that's a lot easier. It's a village about five miles north of Jerusalem, just to give you some context. And I don't know if y'all care, but when it tells me what names mean, I think it's interesting. So Elkanah apparently in Hebrew means God has created. Uh, it says he was... Uh, 
in the country of Ephraim, but he was an Ephraimite by resident. He was actually not of that tribe. He's, his lineage was, anybody know what tribe he was really from? Levi. So his lineage was a Levite. All right, here we go with the two wives. This seems to be a pattern in the Old Testament. Um, first wife was Hannah, and I'm showing that Hannah means grace, or at least their their version of the word. Panina, the second wife, I, I'm seeing shows Ruby as her is what that means. Why were there two wives? Well, in this case, and it doesn't really tell us, but the odds are he took a second wife because. Hannah was barren because Haran wasn't producing children and it was a big deal to have children, to have, have an heir. Uh, lack of an heir was a big deal and they needed to continue their family line and, and other things. Sometimes it was uh, to have children to help work in the fields and things like that. But anyway, odds are Benina came around because Hannah didn't have any children and, and Elkanah needed to have children. All right, let's pick back up in verse go down through 7 now this man used to go up and we're talking about Elkanah now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh where the two sons of Eli Hophni and Phinehas were priests of the Lord on the day when Elkanah sacrificed he would give portions to Peninnah his wife and to all her sons and daughters but to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. So year by year, this is going on. Um, It's not specified, but Israelite men were required to attend at least three annual feasts in the central Sanctuary, And if you want to read, that's in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 1 through 17. Um, this instant was possibly the Feast of Tabernacles. That's what most of the commentaries I read said. Does that sound about like what you were thinking? Uh, also, just something kind of interesting, I find it interesting. This is the first appearance of the title given to God, Lord of Hosts. It's the first time we hear that in our Bible, the way we have it ordered here. Um, it emphasizes that uh, God is the Lord, that he's sovereign over all powers in heaven and earth, um, over everything. So it's just kind of interesting that that's the first uh, first time that that's mentioned, because I think we call him that quite a bit in different places. Shiloh, where they were going up to, that was about 20 miles north of Jerusalem. So it, it doesn't sound like much, and then you have to remember we're walking here. We're walking. It's a long way for me if I was walking 15 miles because they were already five miles north. So uh, Eli that we mentioned here is the high priest. Again, something find, I find interesting, one commentary said his son's names were Egyptian names, or at least of Egyptian. Uh, Hophni meaning tadpole, and Phineas meaning something like Nubian. Uh, don't know, but I thought that was interesting, so I thought I'd share that with you. Uh, and then in verse 4, when it talks about the sacrifice, this was most, like, most likely a peace offering. And you know, if you go into Leviticus, there's all kinds of different offerings and tells what they were. This particular one you can find, if you want to read, uh, in Leviticus chapter 7, verses 11 through 36. 
But basically they burned uh, parts of the animal and parts were given to the priest and parts were eaten by the people who brought the sacrifice. Um, the part where it says Hannah received a double portion because he loved her. Um, I saw one thing that said that could actually mean something a little different, maybe uh, a special portion or one portion, but uh, I think most translations decided on double portion because he loved her. They kind of divvied it out, you know, based on the children and all that, and, and here she is, you know, doesn't have any, and he's making sure she remembers that he loves her. In fact, apparently he loves her. I don't know if he loves Panina, but it's pretty apparent his affection is towards, towards Hannah. And that is who we're talking about in verses 5 and 6, Panina, when it says her rival, that's Panina. That's the second wife. Uh, she just provokes her and irritates her and makes her miserable, you know, making fun. Does this sound familiar? Another Old Testament story you probably had last quarter. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm thinking <laughs> in Genesis 16. You know, man tries to fix his own problems and it doesn't go well a lot of times. Yes. And in fact, I've got that written down here in the next verse. That That's another one. But, uh, you know, where Sarah gave her handmaid to uh, Abraham and uh, then immediately became jealous. <laughs> Like, I don't know how she didn't think that would happen, but, but anyway, so it is very similar. It's a similar situation. But this went on a long time. Every year that they went, went up. All right, let's pick back up in verse 8, and let's see. I'll just read a few. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep, and why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? I find that funny. Did, did you all find that funny when you hear that? I don't know why. It's just kind of like, I'm enough for... Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's like he's not reading the room, not <laughs> not fixing the problem by saying, I'm, I'm more than enough for you. Uh, like he didn't get it, I guess. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of life, of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. Um, and here, here um, Chuck already mentioned Jacob, Rachel, and Leah, but I also had a note about that, that it's clear that Elkanah loves Hannah more, and uh, that does remind you of Jacob and his two wives, Rachel and Leah, um, or he really loved Rachel, but he got tricked into marrying Leah, and uh, it's a very similar setup. Um, I just wonder, though, when I read this, why didn't Elkanah stop... Panina from tormenting Hannah. So, any thoughts on that? I don't know that there's an answer, but just just seems like if he really loved Hannah, he would uh, kind of put a stop to that. Maybe he's not around, but I, I, he would have to know, I would think. Um, and then you kind of think of Panina and think, you know, she's kind of a jerk, <laughs> to be honest. But uh, she's probably pretty jealous, to be honest. Um, she's sitting there watching, you know him love Hannah and give to Hannah and she's the one bearing all these children and he doesn't probably show her nearly the attention or affection. 
So you kind of have to give her a slight break, I guess, for for being a little bit of a jerk, I would say. <laughs> I think so. I think so. She's, you know, first you're reading it and you're just like, oh, man, she's horrible. And then it's like, eh, she's in a bad spot too, though. So she's human. Human, I guess that's the way to say it. You're reading my notes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's exactly that's right. That, that's exactly what I said. Polygamy was tolerated by God, but never his design always seemed to end badly. That's exactly what you're saying. Which, I don't know, it brings up another thought to me that just because something is allowed, he allowed this. It wasn't what he wanted. But just because something's allowed doesn't mean it's good for you. You know, it may not condemn you to hell, but it doesn't mean it's good for you. Just, you know. Yes, Lori. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Maybe she's uh, waiting until he's not in the area or something and then really putting the screws to her there and making her feel terrible. Which this is actually a bigger, bigger... I mean, she's not just getting poked fun of. There, there's a shame in this time period of being childlessness. Fair or unfair, it's not really fair. Uh, sometimes the inability to bear children, they viewed that as a sign of God's punishment that they were bearing because they'd done something against God and he was punishing them. So even if that's not true, people were looking at them and thinking that. Uh, and a lot of times a, a woman who was unable to bear children, then they just discard them because they were almost a liability to take care of. I know that sounds harsh, but that was true. Um, they could be ostracized or just basically given a lower status. So, you know, it was a lot of weight on her, not just being picked on, but just a social pressure. And also maybe you're wondering of at what point is he going to be tired of me and just I'm cast out and have no way to take care of myself. That's a very different view of having children from our culture today where babies are basically aborted out of convenience. It's just such a strange, stark contrast, I think. You know, she's desperate to have a child for lots of reasons, and some reasons that we don't have today. But, you know, now today, it, it's just a matter of convenience whether you decide to have one or not. And I just found a very stark contrast there. All right, let's go. Oh, verse 11. Hannah prays and makes a vow. One thing that stuck out to me in this prayer was that she asked for a male child. Not just a child, a male child. That's kind of some faith there. It, <laughs> in my opinion, she wasn't just asking, I'd like to have a child. I, I want a male child. <laughs> Can he have blue eyes? And, and not, you know, It's very faith-backed to me that she knew that she could ask for a male child and God could do that and would do that. Um, said she'd give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor touch his head. Well, this immediately, I guess, for most of us triggers, what kind of vow is this? Nazarite vow, right? Right. But that was usually for a specified time. It's not usually for life. It was usually for a set period of time. Uh, the only other person, I think, in the Bible that talks about all, you know, from the womb was who? Samson. Samson. That's in Judges 13.5, Judges 16.17. Um, I'm going to actually, just for some context there, Numbers chapter 6, verse 5. Let me read that. 
should have had that bookmarked already. And then a few verses following. And this is talking about the Nazarite vow. Uh, well, I'll just start beginning in chapter 6. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When either a man or a woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite, to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar made from wine or strong drink, and shall not drink any juice of grapes or eat grapes, fresh or dried. All the days of his separation he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine, not even the seeds or the skins. All the days of this vow of separation, of separation, no razor shall touch his head until the time is completed for which he separates himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. He shall let the locks of hair of his head grow long. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body, not even for his father or his mother, for brother or sister. If they die, shall he make himself unclean, because his separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation, he is holy to the Lord. So it's usually a set period of time. Those are some pretty big things, um, especially in this time. But this is for all his life. Um, no wine or anything from the grapevine, no razor to his head, and not to come near a dead body, which, you know, like it's pointing out, family members, that he couldn't really even go and, and mourn, you know, the way they might have done. Uh, so it's a, big, it's a big vow, and I know they just mentioned the razor to the head, but it, it implies the rest of the Nazarite vow. All right, let's go back to Samuel. And I made a mistake and took my uh, bookmark out of there. So you'll have to forgive me while I turn back to it. First Samuel chapter 1, we'll pick back up verse 12. And this is Hannah still praying. She's uh, praying to God. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. All right, so Hannah's praying silently. Has anybody ever asked you if that made a difference? Whether you actually have to say the words out loud or pray in your heart? Anybody have any thoughts on that? I don't really think that it matters. Um, I probably pray more silently than I do out loud, honestly. We'd just be walking around talking all the time. <laughs> yeah, well, and you might wonder. Yeah, so I think that's a that's a good a good point actually. Uh, but apparently, in this time, it was not a usual thing. <laughs> and um, as we'll find out, there were a lot of things that were going on around this that shouldn't have been happening with his sons and things. But uh, so he just assumed. Someone had gotten a little drunk here, but uh, she she lets him know really quickly that that's not the case. Um, I think, does New King James say poured out her soul before the Lord? Or has anybody got that? 
that's what it says. I, I've got it written down how that. I kind of like that wording a little better, just for the image it brings to me. Poured out her soul before the Lord. If you really stop and think about that, how often do we even pray this way, where we actually pour out our soul before the Lord? Yeah, probably not as often as we should, I guess. When, when would we even pray this way? What what happens in our lives that would make us be this? vexed and, and just really laying it all out to God. Is there anything in our lives that happens like that? Family tragedies, yeah. Okay, yeah. She's saying the same situation as Hannah, you know, still today. No electricity. No electricity. Trees in the yard, yeah, falling. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. I don't know if y'all heard that. And sent over in Afghanistan. So there, there's a lot of things where we could be pouring our, our souls out before the Lord. And if we haven't, maybe maybe we should. Um, maybe we should. All right. Let's see. Let me just pick up 119. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. So says that he knew his wife. They, they had relations, and it uh, says the Lord remembered her. He's intervening here. Uh, and, and she does bear a son whose name, Samuel, literally means name of God. Name of God. All right. Let's pick back up here in 21. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. This phrase, lent, it, it's really a, a total giving. Uh, it, to us, it sounds like, well, you can have him for a little while, and we're taking him back. But, but this is not in that context. It, it's a complete giving to the Lord. When, when she uh, said she's going to wait until he's weaned before taking him to Eli, I, I guess... Uh, how young are children weaned in our culture? Usually, what, 14 months, something like that? Or I don't know. It's not not real old. I don't really know. I was actually asking. What? <laughs> Is that about right? Something like that? But in, in this case, from what I'm reading, it could be anywhere from two to four years old. He was probably about three-ish when she took him. So it makes a little more, little more sense. I thought, why does Eli want to take care of a baby? But... <laughs> the priest, but still he's pretty young. He's still pretty young for for an older man uh, to be taken care of. 
And Elkanah, her husband, you know, she made this vow without him. <laughs> I mean, she didn't really, he didn't know she was going to do that, I don't believe. At least he didn't say it. Uh, but he could have deemed her vow to be rash. He could have kept her for ful- fulfilling it, but he didn't. So we're assuming there's full support in, in her desire here. And, uh, and Hannah keeps her promise, no matter how difficult this must have been. And, you know, she's wanted so badly to have this child, and uh, she's fixing, she's had him for three, maybe four years, and she's turning him over. How hard, how hard must that have been? Uh, Daryl? Yeah. Yeah. She's happy to go this time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and not only that, she's given her child to the Lord. You know? But, so we don't really know. But I still think it's probably difficult. I mean, but as we'll see how chapter 2 begins, I, I don't really think I'm going to, read this. The, it's called Hannah's Prayer. It's also, I've seen it as Hannah's Song, but it it's a prayer of thanks and, and rejoicing in God and the blessing that she's been given. You know, it, it's a prayer of praise and thankfulness. Uh, it just kind of made me wonder, do, do we ever do that? Do we ever have prayers where all it is is thanking God and praising God and we don't just slip something in of Oh, and by the way, while you're here, <laughs> I got this thing I need. <laughs> you know, I, I just wonder, but there, there's not any of that in here. She's just full-on praising and thanking God, almost to the level she did where she was pouring her soul out, asking and, and desiring. It just made me wonder if we ever actually stop and just... Yeah. Oh, Panina. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that is something to think about. Um, it, it would, I think, get tiring to have someone only come and ask things of you. <laughs> you know, if no one ever thanked you, no one ever did that, I'm sure God would appreciate praise and thanks and actually, I think, expects. expects. So after she's had this, this prayer here, we'll, we'll, we'll pick up with verse 11. It says, Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy ministered to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. So now Samuel, this young young child, is uh, helping the priest Eli. 12 through 17, let's read that part. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priest with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, And he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish, he would say, no, you must give it now. And if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sign of the young, the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord for the men treated the offering of the Lord with, with contempt. All right, this is bringing up a whole thing about how they were supposed to be doing this. It may sound a little strange to us, but uh, this was very very evil what they were doing. 
this word here where it says they were worthless, I think some translations say corrupt. The word here literally is translated sons of Belial, which was like a Hebrew way of saying wicked or base men, just wicked, wicked. And uh, I think this is also the same word that was used in 116 where Hannah says, don't think me a worthless woman. I think it's the same word here. Um, but God's plan provided for these priests to be given you know, certain parts of these sacrifices. Uh, he'd already made, you know, made plans for them. Uh, Eli's sons had their own rules about what they would take. They weren't even doing this correctly. That whole fork thing, whatever I can dig out, it's mine. That, that wasn't even right. Um, they took more than what God had specified, basically. Uh, they demanded the raw meat, including the fat. Well, that was a big no-no because God's law specifically stated the fat was to be burned with the sacrifice. That was God's. That was part of his sacrifice. So they're taken from God. They're taken from the people. Um, and then if someone objected to the fat part, you know, the part that was supposed to be God's, the part they were offering a sacrifice for their sins and transgressions, uh, if, if they objected, they're threatening them with force. <laughs> None of this is correct. <laughs> they're, they're actually just making it contemptible. Uh, they had no respect for God and what was supposed to be his. Um, some other negative things that come out of their actions, the first thing I think of is the effect it has on God's people. They're coming up here to worship. Sometimes this was a a worship meal with the family. I think the men were the only ones required, but like Elkanah brings his family, and once they've had their sacrifice and they get their part of the food, they sit down to a, a meal together in their, in, as part of their worship, and uh, they're taking from that. So if that's what's happening. <laughs> yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah. And if that's your experience with what's supposed to be worship and the people who are leading you, what does that do to how you feel about it? <laughs> I mean, Catholic Church has dealt with that, with things they've found out going on there. How would people feel about that? They don't trust them. They're like, well, if that's what God's about, I don't really want that. And some of these people may have felt that way but didn't know anything else, but sure wouldn't make you look forward to going <laughs> to sacrifice because these men are supposed to be in charge of it. So it, it, it really takes away from, you know, the worship of God for these people. Um, it, it's really something I guess we should be on guard to about how we honor God and, and not withhold what we're supposed to be given to him. And, you know, there's different ways that might happen. You think of any way we might not be honoring God by withholding what should be his. You know, anything come to mind? Maybe of ourselves, you know, maybe we're not giving. I'll be honest, this is not my comfort zone up here. (laughs) Um, I'm doing this because I I feel like I need to do it because I was asked to do it, and I'm going to do it. (laughs) Um, If I pass out, though, or my blood sugar drops, you know what to do, right? Okay, so I hadn't done this in a few years, but uh, not, not withholding things you can do, I do. Maybe that's a way we don't honor God by not giving him, you know, the things he's given us. Yeah, yeah. All right, 2.20. I did. Uh, No, I didn't. We'll start with 2.20.
And in due time, oh, wait a minute, I'm in the wrong chapter now, 220. I have to flip the page. I got myself all discombobulated. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the young man Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. So Eli is continuing to bless her because of what she's done, uh, that she, she wanted so badly for the son, and then she dedicated him his whole life to, to the Lord. Um, so, and then what happens? She gets more children. So she has no children. She's being tormented. She gets the one she asked for, gives it to God. And now she's got, what does it say, three more sons and two daughters? <laughs> now she has five. So I don't know how many Panina had, but uh, if they're keeping score, she's in the game again, I guess. This is one way to look at it. Um, just a quick thought. It says that the Lord had closed her womb, that God closed her womb. Do you think God caused Hannah to be barren so she would get to the point that she got to so that she would dedicate her child to God? You think it was part of the scheme of things? Kind of seems like it to me. Because Samuel's the one he, he raises up. Uh, but that's that's a pretty big, interesting thing, I think, <laughs> that... Uh, Right. Right. And then she's further blessed beyond what she even... Ex- yeah. 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 I think somebody back there. Well, and that even goes back to Elkanah even taking a second wife because he's going to fix it himself. <laughs> uh, which is many of these stories with the polygamy where they're like, well... We'll just take care of this ourselves instead of looking to God or thinking, well, this isn't God's plan this way. You know, man always wants to fix it himself and not trust in God. But I just thought it was interesting to think that God literally closed her womb because He might have wanted her to get to this desperate point to where she would make this vow. And then we have Samuel uh, in their own eyes. Mm-hmm. What did you say? That she was blaming God instead of accepting her own. Of course, we don't really know what she was thinking, but that is something someone, you know, we might think that today if things aren't going the way we expect. It's like, why won't God do this for me? Or why is God preventing this? Or That's never really the right way to look at it. Oh, someone else's fault. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go on to where we stop there. Two, let's see, 22. Now, Eli was very old. And he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Um, does Eli's response seem a little weak? <laughs> I, I, that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, oh, this sounds bad. This is such a bad thing you're doing. It's like, we're a little late here, <laughs> I think, to correct in this problem. Um, seems to me he should have taken away their positions of leadership at least, at the very least, 
uh, some of what they did could have even resulted in them putting, being put to death, this uh, sleeping with the, the women in front of the tabernacle. We know at least that Phineas is married, because in chapter 4 we find out he had a wife, so that's adulterous, which I guess either way it is. So, I mean, they could have been put to death, let alone continue to serve in the function that they were. Um, Eli, it seems to me, really drops the ball, and I think we're going to see God thinks so too as we read. But it says the Lord desired to kill them or put them to death, depending on the question. That sounds kind of... <laughs> Uh, harsh to think that God desired to kill them, and it even infers that that's why they didn't listen to Eli. But I kind of think we're in a Pharaoh situation again here where he hardened his heart. I, I think these people were just so far gone to a point where they weren't going to turn from what they were doing, and at this point God was going to... to... Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Lori? Mm-hmm. Which it's clear these Eli sons did not have. They knew what they were supposed to do because they were perverting it actually and changing it to what they wanted. Uh, but they didn't have that connection with God. They didn't truly know God. Um, we'll just close this out here. We got a few more minutes. Uh, let me finish reading this chapter here. Now the young man Samuel continued to grow both in stature and favor with the Lord and also with man. Have you heard that before or something similar to it? In the New Testament, try Luke 2.52. That's very similar to what Jesus, what they described Jesus says. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus the Lord has said, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I give to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread, and shall say, Please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. Uh, so this man of God's a prophet. That, that's another way of saying it. But he's, he's basically prophesying what's about to happen. And, and it is about to happen. This 27 through 28, uh, when he's talking about 
in Egypt, subject the house of Pharaoh, choose him out of the tribes of Israel to my priest. He's talking about Aaron and his descendants who were the priest. And Eli, if we'll remember, his, he is a descendant uh, of Aaron. So he wasn't really necessarily talking about Eli in that beginning part, but the family from which he came from. So basically, anyway, um, it does say in verse 29 that Eli honored his sons above, above God. So we're back to that thing where it's a little late for Eli. He uh, put uh, his sons above what he should have. And I think we'll just leave it at that. And that's a good place. And Daryl can pick up chapter 3 if he wants to. <laughs> so, well, thank you for your attention and participation. I appreciate it. Thank you.